what is it that you would do for free? If you weren't getting paid tomorrow, what is it that gives you so much energy and joy that you would do it for free? You would spend your days doing that. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life. Body, business, bank account, boys and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited for today's episode because I'm just glad I got a hold of this woman before she, like, <laughs> before five years from now because she is an unbelievable CEO and with what she has done in the just the past five years with what she has built with her company is going to be ex explosive in the next five years from now. I have the amazing Tirza Shirai on. She is originally from what she calls the Texas of Canada. She is the CEO and founder of Blink Bar, a lash studio that specializes in masterfully crafted lash extensions with customized application techniques, quality products, and best-in-class customer service. Tirza started as a film director who wanted eyelashes for her actresses on camera that could accentuate their eyes and look natural even in their close-ups. She calls herself an accidental entrepreneur, having founded Blink Bar back in 2012 after seeing a need to be met in the lash industry, and she now has five locations in California, though I'm sure this is going to be worldwide. And right now her locations are in Calabasas, Hermosa Beast, Sherman Oaks, West Hollywood, and Santa Monica. And I am so excited for her. She has set the standard for lashes, becoming basically the Starbucks of eyelash extensions. She has successfully scaled and positioned Blink Bar as a leader in the lash industry due to their consistency, excellent branding, like her Instagram is on point, and smart business strategy. Tirza, welcome to The Princess and the Bee. Wow, that's quite the intro. Thank you so much. I'm so honored and happy to be here. I'm so honored to have you here because where you started and like a little bit of backstory about where Tirza and I met, we actually met about 10 years ago in acting class at Playhouse West. So I knew her in her former life. So tell me a little bit how you got started in your field and how you merged from the Hollywood industry into being a CEO of a, of a fast growing company. Yeah, absolutely. So I entered into Playhouse West, um, you know, really wanting to learn how to how to work with actors in my directing career. And, you know, I like to say there's so many similarities between being a director and being an entrepreneur. And that doesn't mean someday I won't go back to directing. But, you know, as a director slash entrepreneur, you get to really 
um, execute this vision that doesn't exist anywhere in the world except inside your head. And you get to work with these amazing teams of people who are so much better at their area of expertise. And they all work together in a really collaborative way to help you execute this vision in your head. And there's something about it that I absolutely love. I, I like to consider that's my area of genius and what I was put here to do. And when it came to starting Blink Bar, you know, I guess I just really saw a need that wasn't being met in the beauty industry. And, you know, I had to make that, you know, decision that we all have at one point in our lives where we kind of see the fork in the road and we can go, I can go left or I can go right. And I knew that if I didn't go down this path and start Blink Bar that someone would. And, you know, I got really excited and, and started down that path. And I mean, being a leader, like when you started it back in 2012, eyelash extensions were not like a thing. They were a luxury for uh, women, but like now at a grocery store, I'll see women walking down the streets with, with eyelash extensions. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's interesting. So we actually started our, we opened our first location in February of 2015. So it's even been less time. Yeah, we did have a pop-up before then where I kind of tested the concept, improved the concept. It's actually been a few short years. And yeah, at the time there was really, when I, before Blink Bar started, um, I, my friends and I, you know, kind of got on Google and did a search and there was really only like two or three offerings, you know, so-and-so's lashes. And it was like one person renting out a salon suite. And yeah, so I just really saw an opportunity for, like you said, the Starbucks of eyelashes, someone to really create a brand that women could trust. Now, I love the fact that you were quoted in a previous article as, as calling it the Starbucks of eyelashes. Why did you coin that phrase? Uh, it's a great question. I think that today it's even more relevant than it was, you know, back in 2015 or, or 2014, because when Starbucks started, there was no shortage of, of coffee in the world, right? There was coffee on every corner. It was an offering. But what Starbucks did is they really gave us a brand that we could trust, right? We know that we can go in and get our, you know, mocha latte in Paris and London and New York. Um, and we're going to get that consistency and that brand that we can trust. And obviously that is what, you know, we aim to do. We have five locations in LA and we are, you know, planning on expanding globally over the next five years. So what was your training to, how did your being a director really prepare you for, your job. I know you touched on kind of that leading a team, um, but what was your training in to go into specifically eyelash extensions? Because it seems like a large leap. Did you, were you self-studied? Did you teach yourself how to do eyelashes? Yeah. So it actually was very accidental. I was actually um, working on a project with Focus Features. We were greenlit. We were ready to go. And my best friend's a well-known actress and she was in um, Europe and she was working on a project and I had tried eyelash extensions in LA and I just couldn't get the quality and the consistency that I wanted. And to be really frank, I just looked awful. <laughs> it was just these terrible artificial looking eyelashes. And when I went to visit her in Europe, I, she sent me to her, it was a guy who was doing it, her guy. And I thought, I don't wanna be rude. She paid for it. She sent a driver to go, have me get my eyelashes done. And I really, um, I love them. I mean, at the end of the day, I really, I went and saw these eyelashes and I still never thought that I was going to 
create a business. I just wanted to be able to get my eyelashes the way that they looked when I got them done in Europe. And so I we had the script out to like Vanessa Redgrave or something, and she had months to get back to us. So when I came back to LA, I reached out to this individual and I just, you know, when I put my mind to something, I can be very stubborn. And I just, again, never thought I was going to start a business. I just flew out there and convinced him to teach me how to do what he was doing so different than what was happening, you know, in other eyelash shops. And, you know, then I really found the process itself to be very meditative once I had the training. And I came back to LA and he gave me this little kit and I started practicing on my friends. And, you know, instead of going to, you know, a bar and having a glass of wine, we would just hang out at my place and I would apply these eyelashes. And then that's when fate kind of took over. And on one hand, you know, this film project that we were working on with Focus started to fall apart for turnaround reasons. And at the same time, we, my phone was ringing off the hook with my friends who I put these eyelashes on and they're like, my nanny and my sister and my mom and everyone wants these eyelashes. And so Blink Bar was born. Having gone from, you know, if you've ever purchased false eyelashes, it's not the same experience as having lashes that last for, you know, a good three to four weeks. So when you first had that application, did the lashes last the length of time that now Blink Bar's lashes last? Well, the very first time and second time I got them done, it was in LA. And I don't know because I had them immediately removed. I really didn't like them. They felt very plasticky and they felt heavy and they felt itchy and it was just, it was terrible. So, I mean, I guess they really didn't last because I immediately had them removed. <laughs> Yeah, but when but when you were doing it on your friends, did you did you yeah. find that they they lasted for weeks? And was that something that you got to experiment and play with? Yes, absolutely. You know, a big part of how long eyelashes last is, you know, how they're how they're styled, how they're um, sized, how so. There's all these different. Um, you know, it's, I like to use the equivalent of buying jeans. You know, a lot of people were doing eyelashes as if you were to walk into Fred Siegel Jean Bar and say, hey, I'd like to try some jeans. And someone without looking at you just grabs a pair of jeans and slams them down on the counter. And if you don't happen to fit those jeans, then you walk away going, well, I guess I don't like jeans because they didn't really work for me, right? Instead of really going into like, what kind of style are you looking for? You know, looking at you, looking at your size and shape and what's gonna compliment you. I love that because it brings that, that personalization to your customer service that is, is totally different than, than just, like you said, having a random pair of jeans thrown at you. Yes. So, as a child, did you dream about becoming the CEO of a company one day or, or were, you, were your dreams more in alignment with being a director? I mean, I think, so as a child, I don't know that I had, I think my only ambition in life was to be happy. I think that was something that, that I wanted to do. And I knew then along the way, I learned that being happy meant, you know, exploring what your gifts are in the world and how to kind of get them out there. And so there was a time where I thought that was directing for me. I still think there's a lot of things I love about directing. Although I will tell you that my grandmother who had about 75 children, grandchildren, great, great grandchildren. Um, she was my grandmother and she so she had a lot of people. She kept one or two very meaningful things. When she passed away, we found this chest. She kept at least one thing from each grandchild. 
<laughs> when we saw what she kept of mine, we laughed so hard, me and my siblings, because we saw it was this little, I, I was four years old or five years old, and I drew this picture for her, very elaborate. And on the side, it said, sold to granny for eight cents. So instead of, you know, most children just give it to their grandmother. And I laughed because I thought knowing my grandmother, I started at 10 cents and then she whittled me down to eight. So yeah, I, I do think, I think it's interesting in life how we look back on our lives. Um, in YPO, we do this thing called a lifeline, which is just basically looking at your life from birth to now and all the impressionable events. And so, yeah, I, you know, look back on my life and I can see, oh yeah, I think I was a born entrepreneur. Part of that being, I really hated school. And I think that if you talk to a lot of founders, a lot of creative founders who, who created their company, a lot of them felt the same way about our traditional education system. They just felt like they didn't fit in. Oh, girl, you're preaching 100% because when I was five, I ended up uh, split testing price points for five cents or $50 for bags of glitter water. I didn't know it was called split testing price points, but <laughs> that's what I was doing is I was letting the market determine the price. So I do believe a lot of the times the entrepreneur spirit is really born in us, but that traditional educational system kind of whittles that away or tries to conform us into some sort of box that we don't really fit into. I mean, it was developed back in the Victorian ages. And I think it also teaches us what to think, not how to think. And I think that's a really important distinction. So if you were to change the educational system, now knowing what you know as a CEO, having been in that director's seat as well, what would be one change that you would really want to, to inspire in the youth of today? I mean, I think, you know, when I have children, there's two school systems that I'm personally a big fan of. And I think because if I was a child and I grew up in those school systems, I think that those entrepreneurial impulses in me would have been cultivated. So one of them is Waldorf, which is controversial because people don't learn to read until later in life. And I learned how to read when I was three years old. The, the upside for me is just how it really teaches creativity and how important creativity is um, in childhood. And kind of instilling this magical um, way of thinking about the world. And then the second um, school that I'm a big fan of is Acton. And a lot of people aren't as familiar with that. It was, um, it's born out of Austin, Texas. And it actually is, Forbes wrote it up as the next school that the Da Vinci's and Steve Jobs will come from. Um, and it is an entrepreneur school. I mean, it's very, very intense. The, the kids um, have designed their own curriculum. They design what they want to learn. They don't learn everything. They learn, they find a, a, almost a mentor within their field. So if you wanted to be a film director, you would reach out to a top tier film director and you would have that person mentor you. I love that idea because I, I think that that mentorship and apprenticeship is really how we used to learn trades as entrepreneurs and having that guidance is so key, even just to explore various interests that we have. So what would you say you, how would you say you've changed from where you started, you know, selling your grandma eight <laughs> gifts for eight cents? To where you are now, how would you say you, you've changed um, both for the positive and, and the, the negative? I mean, I would say the positive is that 
I think because I didn't excel in school, I mean, I barely graduated high school. I think that that really knocked my confidence as a young girl. Mm -hmm. And I think that, so I would say one big change is that I own my power in the way of, you know, this is, this is who I am. These are my gifts that I bring to the world and I'm not apologetic about it. And I think it took a really long time in my life to figure out, you know, how, how does that fit in? And, and I don't, you know, I don't aspire to be Harvard, you know, educated and I don't aspire to, I really want to create. And, you know, so I think that on the upside, I've really, really learned to embrace that really creative side. Um, the negative side, I'm trying to think if there's been anything I mean, it's really hard. I, obviously, I've been through a tremendous amount of ups and downs, but I, I never really use the term failure. I, within Blink Bar, we have a saying, um, a learning opportunity, because anything that happens, I've had a lot of learning opportunities, but I wouldn't say I've had, you know, I've had this big failure because I think everything that's happened has kind of led me to where I am today. 100%. I totally agree. So, I love the topic of, of failure in specific because with failure can come such massive growth. And I know you said you didn't really have, I mean, you've had failures, but none that were like particularly epic. But if you were to choose one that you really found that you grew the most fun, what was the most fun failure that you had? Man, I mean, I think... Gosh, it's really hard for me to think of because I just so don't have the word failure in my vocabulary, but I'm trying to think what a big learning opportunity. I think for me, it has to be around having employees. I think any, um, anyone who will tell you, you know, and they have, we have over a hundred employees at Blink Bar, um, that that presents some big challenges. And I think there was a lot of areas where I did fail and, you know, I learned so much. I think, I have the saying that, you know, being a leader is the greatest spiritual practice you could have, you know, I think alongside being a parent, because it constantly teaches you to grow and to look inside. And so I think that, you know, early on with Blink Bar, I actually had some great advice given recently, which, you know, I've imparted to everyone who does the hiring at Blink Bar, which is always hire people with high self-worth. And I think there was a time at Blink Bar where I felt bad for people and I hired them because they didn't have jobs or they weren't employed for, you know, two or three years or they were living out of their car. And I think that that was a big learning opportunity for me is to just really step into my power and, you know, and, and say, you know, we're going to hire people with high self-worth. We're going to hire people who love themselves. Yes, I love that. On that topic, who was the first hire that you brought on to Blink Bar? Or did you bring in a team of multiple people? Well, so no, my very first hire would have been a lash technician. Mm -hmm. So um, I was doing them myself in the early days for the first few months. And then, you know, I couldn't possibly do them all day, every day, which I, I was just exhausted. So I brought on a lash technician and she had the skill of applying lashes, but I taught her the blink bar technique that we have today and how to style and how to apply them. Um, and then, yeah, I think I hired, gosh, I mean, probably 10 technicians before I hired a store manager. And then, you know, it's hard to believe that now we have, you know, over a hundred people. That's amazing. So with, with the management, because I'm fascinated by 
going from solopreneur doing all the lashes yourself into moving into having a hundred employees and growing, were there any other high qualities that you look for in your employees aside from high self-worth? That's the number one is high self-worth because I think people with high self-worth, they make good decisions. Um, I would say, so I'm a big believer in something called the 15 commitments of conscious leadership, um, a little plug out to them. And, and, you know, in that, I'm a big believer in something called your zone of genius. So when I'm hiring people, I really make sure that what I'm hiring them for, whether it's HR or marketing, that they, that's truly their area of genius. It's not their area of competence, which I think a lot of people confuse. And it's really, really important that you find people, whether it's someone who's checking people out at the front desk, it's a lash technician, that they are operating in their area of genius. I love that because finding that entrepreneurial i think a lot of times with uh a lot of the women in my audience they struggle with harnessing what is that zone of genius versus what they're good at doing they're very skilled mm -hmm. at doing multiple things but harnessing in on that one specific zone of genius so as an employer how do you discover what that zone of genius is within your employee so we have a whole hiring system that we use, but how I would say I define it in my, in my own life is, and I ask the other people, is what is it that you would do for free? If you weren't getting paid tomorrow, what is it that gives you so much energy and joy that you would do it for free? You would spend your days doing that. And, you know, I, so that really is different than your competence because your competence is something that people bring to you because they know you're good at it, but it's something that you would love to give to someone else. And if it's just your area of competence, you should. That's really how we've grown as a business is I got that advice early on. You know, everything that comes across your desk, your email, your text message, um, a, you know, a task that comes up, ask yourself who else could do this, right? Who else's area of genius does this belong in? And so my goal, you know, is to spend 90 to 95% of my time in my area of genius. And so when I hire people, I really want to make sure that, you know, we have a head of HR, um, shout out to Kristen, who she just, HR is her area of genius. She's amazing at it. And she would literally do it for free. She loves working with people. She loves cultivating, you know, people in leadership. And so I think if you surround yourself with people um, who are living in their genius, it's a really great recipe for success. So with your zone of genius, having moved from doing the detail work into CEO, which requires more of a holding a grander vision for your company and for all the moving pieces without actually doing all the moving pieces, what would you say is the zone of genius of a CEO? I think that's really specific in the CEO to the to the individual CEO. I think some CEOs are very data driven or they're very um, you know, I think there's just as many CEOs as there are, there's that many areas of genius. Um, so I, I think that it's really specific and I think it's important that you know what your area of genius is as a CEO and then you hire around what is not, what is your area of competence or incompetence, right? You make sure you really support yourself, whether it's your board members, your investors, your, you know, your peers, your C-suite individuals, you know, when you get to that point, really making sure that you know yourself and you know what your strengths are and you're not trying to overcompensate by doing everything because no one can do everything. No one's genius at everything. Mm -hmm. I totally 
totally agree. So how did you step into that role of, of moving from doing the detail work to your zone of genius is where you are now? Um, every moment I could hire someone or get something off my plate, I did. I mean, I lived in a one bedroom apartment until about a year and a half ago. So I just, my priority was to put everything back into the company. And, you know, we, we built a current today, 30 million valued company in a few short years by just taking everything off my plate. The minute I could hire someone or bring someone on or, you know, another great thing is there's just people who are fractional, like a fractional CEO, a fractional CFO, people who can take, if you can't bring on a full-time employee, use Upwork, use, you know, one of these um, places where you can bring someone on for five hours, 10 hours a week, get a virtual personal assistant, do anything so that you can spend your time in your genius. Oh, Teresa, that just like it literally I could cheer so loudly for that because that zone of genius, that is your power. So was there any specific event or moment where you realize that now you are in a place where you are operating fully and completely in your power and in in your zone of genius? So I had an, an executive coach that I worked with that I think was very um, helpful in this. And it's something that your listeners could do at home. So he had me for a week, every sing single thing that I spent my time doing, I made a list of it. And it fell into one of three categories. Either it got a check mark beside it or a plus sign because it brought me joy and I would do it, you know, for free. I love this. Then something that got you know, just a little check mark would be something that was neutral. I, I didn't love doing it, but I didn't hate doing it, but I certainly would have no problem giving that to someone else. Mm -hmm. And then just things that got a minus sign. So things that drained my energy, I felt icky on the other side of that. I just didn't like doing it. And so I think that that was, and then obviously he said, take everything that ha that is not, you know, in your area of genius and leverage it. Anything from a big, uh, from a little check mark or below. And I yeah. love that because I'm all about what can you eliminate, what can you delegate, and what can you automate. And one of the first things I tell my clients is like, really look at what you can eliminate first before you delegate it to somebody and pay somebody to do something that doesn't have to necessarily be done. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so when. You know, you're now in this amazing position owning a $30 million valued company as a CEO. How has being a woman actually helped you in your career? Uh, that's such a great question. And I think it's so funny because I never went into directing or being a female, you know, founder, CEO, saying, you know, that I was a woman and that I needed to somehow like overcompensate for that. I mean, I really went in just saying, I'm a woman. I don't, you know do anything with my ovaries. <laughs> like I, I, you know, I don't direct with my ovaries. I don't read a balance sheet with my ovaries. And I just really expected the world to have the same response. So I, I walked into, you know, this world very blindly just saying, it doesn't matter if I'm a man or a woman, it just doesn't matter. And so of course, along the way, there's been times that I've been confronted with odd comments or odd behavior. But I just look at that and say, oh, that person, you know, they'll learn or they'll, you know, they'll change their growth. So I think that being, being a woman in this world, it's such an exciting time as a leader. And I think that, you know, 
a lot of my peers and myself, like what we want is we just want an option for a little girl to, when we ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? They can say, I want to be a homemaker, or they can say, I want to be a CEO, or they can say, I want to be both. And we just want, you know, them to have that option. Yes. Yes. I love that because I think a lot of it depends on perception of, a, mm -hmm. like, I love how you mentioned how, you know, you got the odd comments, but it wasn't a perception that you were projecting anyways into the world where it, it wasn't that the belief that, oh, your ovaries would hinder you. You're just like, oh, I'm just a, a woman. And you got the odd comments, but it what it didn't really impede your your progress. Yeah. So what difference would you sell? Should we celebrate that women have from men? And how does that difference set you apart in, as a CEO in your field? That question excites me so much because I feel like as women, we have so much to bring to the table. And I'm really not into women showing up as men, putting on power suits and trying to be the best man in the room. I'm really about women finding, you know, our power in the world and how do we show up as leaders? You know, what do we have to bring to the table? And I think, you know, as we collectively explore what that is, I think one thing is collaboration. I think that women are naturally, and, and when I say women, I mean actually feminine. I totally recognize that, you know, men are not, you know, don't, men are not always, you know, masculine and women are not always feminine, but I think feminine energy is very collaborative. And I think that it also seeks to uplift people and it seeks to make the world a better place and, and to give back. And so I think that those are things that we've been missing in boardrooms. I, I love that because I think uh, that women not only bring that collective, um, that feminine energy brings that, that collective collaboration, but it also brings a level of, a different level of empathy and compassion. Like what you experienced in the, in the beginning with hiring for people who didn't have self-worth, it can be projected in the wrong way and for hiring people that didn't necessarily have that level of self-worth, but having that compassion in, in a way that drives humanity forward, where it's constantly paying it forward. I think women just, we have such a, it, this is such a pivotal moment in history that I think is phenomenal to see the rise of the female CEO. What would be, what would be one quality that men in your industry could really learn? And how would you teach that quality of collaboration to a man? Well, I want to start by saying like, I love men. You know, I consider myself an absolute feminist, but I love men. And I work with, um, with a lot of women because I'm in the beauty industry. But what I can say is that in raising capital, we're, we're about to embark on our series A, our first round of funding. And so in this venture capital VC world and private equity PE world, um, it is 99.9% men writing checks. And they all want to invest in beauty because they see the numbers and, you know, how beauty is just this, you know, huge, vast, wide open territory. And so I think that they need to get more women on their boards. They need to get more women writing checks, more women involved because, you know, women know what women want to buy. And, you know, women have over 75% of the buying power in this country. So I think if I was to give advice to men, it's, you know, don't just ask, you know, your wife or your daughter's advice, really involve these women in your day-to-day -day business. 
um, you know, I think within YPO, it's been interesting because the men will tell you that the more women they get into their group, um, the, the more they learn collectively from each other. So I just think, you know, invite women in as part of the conversation in your boards. I think that that's a, that's a powerful next step for where we're going. In the beginning of as you were growing this business and starting this business, that you started working with an executive coach. What were the benefits that you found from coaching that helped you grow your business exponentially? You know, I always joke, so his name was Tim, and I always say to him, gosh, you're the only executive coach that actually tries to have me do less, right? I really went into coaching thinking, he's gonna teach me how to do 300 more things in a day, right? And he said something to me, he said, you know, Tirza, I would, if you were a bricklayer, right? Your sole job every day was just to lay bricks and we could do that. But he would call a CEO, a chief energy organizer, and that your job is to organize your energy and those around you. So I think really something I got out of coaching with him was to try to be more efficient and more present and more in touch with my emotions and more, you know, kind of alive and in the moment as opposed to just powering through a day. And, you know, in that, I think that we show up in a more authentic way as women, as leaders, um, and it just makes us more, more effective leaders. One thing that my coach taught me uh, he said, if you ever look in the company, like you see the mailroom and everybody's doing lots of little things. They're doing lots of lots. Of, they're doing all the things they're they're, But the CEO, the owner of the company, not yeah. doing all the things, not trying to do it all, all herself or his self. Like it's the it's the people actually. And as you increase your pay grade, as you move up into the CEO world or if you're in the climbing the corporate ladder it depends more on actually you doing less and having a greater vision and being able to withstand that vision for where you want to take your company and i'm so excited that you're embarking on venture capital i think that's it's going to be so massive for you so what would you say is a ma a major mission that you have for not only where you want Blinkbar to go, but where you want you to go as as the leader of this of this mission for beauty and for women to feel beautiful in their skin in a natural way. Yeah, so we're actually launching a whole new kind of we call it it's it's a campaign um, coming up in June and July. We'll be doing some more traditional forms of advertising, and it's really come from this really beautiful, authentic space within us because we're you know ninety nine point nine percent women who work together. And something that's important to me as the leader is you know to reflect on the the messages that we've gotten as women since we're born. And, you know, most of that was created by people who were trying to make money. A lot of them were, you know, men. And it really has come from a place of trying to make us feel less than so we'll buy something. You smell bad, you should buy this. You look bad, you should buy that. You should, you know. And I think that as women, we're so tired of that. I think that, you know, I, I watch this phenomenon on Facebook when people are now launching things with these impossibly thin models or, you know, impossibly beautiful models. And I think that we're in such an exciting time as women because we are tired of that. You know, we really, really are moving beyond that. And so Blink Bar, you know, my goal as a woman and a founder and, you know, at Blink Bar is to really embrace this place that we're going as women, which is really about, you know, we have the saying that beauty 
is not a look, it's a feeling. And, you know, we get to define what beauty means. We get to define what beauty looks like to us as women. Now, my question, since you're moving into some traditional forms of advertising, are you going to be directing any of these traditional forms of advertising for your company? I mean, yes and no. I, I, I won't be the one holding the camera, not that the director is the one holding the camera. But, you know, I do directing every day as far as, yes, I will be directly involved with our original photography, with our models, the selection of the models, you know, our voice, our story. I mean, the things I love about filmmaking, the story, the images are the same things I love about, you know, being an entrepreneur. They're, they are, the entertainment and, and entrepreneurship are so similar because in many ways, because there's still that sort of, that perception of hustle in a way. So how, how do you balance that hustle with having flow and alignment and ease? Ooh, you know, I think everyone is really different. I think for me, I, I, I feel like I have so much drive and passion. I don't know where it comes from that it, it makes sense that I would hire an executive coach that's like, slow down, look in the moment. Um, so my balance is really in meditation and I have a hot bath like every single day just finding ways to like tune into the moment, tune into my body, what I'm feeling. Whereas I think some people might struggle with the opposite, right? They might struggle with finding the motivation every day. That doesn't happen to be my personal struggle. I think, um, you know, mine is really to slow down and realize you can't do everything, right? I have a million ideas I want to do every day. And I think that one of the things I have learned along the way is that if you do what you love, the money's going to come, you know, find something that is not work for you. Find something that you love so much. I mean, I get excited every Monday. I can't, I can't wait for it to be Monday again. And that's such a great feeling. I saw that you said that in, in an, in another interview and I was like, yes, somebody else is excited for Monday instead of that concept of living for the weekend. Like it's in my belief system that if, if you're living for the weekend, you're living for the wrong things five days out of the week. Yeah. Yes. And I, I too have that, that struggle with like being so motivated that there are so many things you want to get done. So how do you deal with the, the feelings that could lead into burnout and have you ever experienced burnout? Oh yeah. I think early on with Blink Bar, I remember a very, you know, difficult, difficult time. And I actually was speaking on a panel recently and I brought it up because it was a room full of aspirate, like women who wanted to, you know, be entrepreneurs and founders. And in that moment, I remember thinking, I'm going to talk about this if I ever get, you know, a platform or a voice, because I don't think enough people talk about the rough times, the, the lows, the times when you can't get out of bed, the times when you're like a, you know, a crying ball on the floor, like I just can't go on. Um, but I think that that's where the leaders are made. When you get up the next day and go, all right, I'm going to find a way to solve this problem, right? Um, so I would say that my early on in Blink Bar, I really burnt out. I was working 18-hour days, and, I, and that's when I found this book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And I remember there's th th these two stories in the beginning, and I just remember reading it and having tears streaming down my face because I realized that there was another way. And that was back towards the end of 2015. And I think ever since then, I've really changed the way, like burnout doesn't exist for me, 
because on the other side of that, I realized that I'm more effective working six hours a day really efficiently. And um, you become, I think when you become a master of managing your time and your commitments, um, it, it's a game changer. And we will link to that book in the show notes because that book, having been so transformational, I want to read that one. I haven't read that one yet um, because I'm all about really focusing on those top key priorities. So what would you say as a leader is your number one priority on a daily basis? Hmm. Well, so we, so I run on something called traction, which I highly, highly recommend. Um, so every morning we have a morning huddle with our key executives. And then, so my, you know, I, I have KPIs and rock. So KPIs are ongoing measurements that, you know, you have that we report on every month. So I think that's really helpful if you can get your KPIs and rocks, even if you're a one person company or you have one person you work with, starting with your mission and your values and why you're there and your BHOG of your big, hairy, audacious goal, whatever you call it. Um, and then you just, you look, what, what will move the needle on that every single day? And I think it's so easy, even for me today, it's so easy. I have a million things flying at me to not prioritize working on my KPIs and rocks. And that's why we do our morning huddle. And that's why we all get on the same page and we all redirect. Um, actually, Stephen Covey has this great, you can find it on YouTube, example, old school, but he basically has this woman with a fishbowl and he has a whole bunch of sand and these huge rocks to put into this fishbowl. And he says, go ahead, put it in. Of course, she puts the sand in first and tries to jam the rocks in and they don't fit. So then he, she does it in reverse and puts the rocks in. And then magically all the sand kind of falls in and everything fits in the fishbowl. And I think that that's such a beautiful analogy for prioritizing your day. Make sure you hit those rocks and the sand will find its way in there. So what on a personal level, what are your sort of rocks that you set up as, as daily practices or, or rocks that allow you to let the sand settle? Yeah. So I, so on my personal, in my personal life, um, I love cooking. So I try to make at least like three hot meals a day at home, whether I have friends over or not. Meditation has been a big part of my life for over a decade. So I try to get in both of my daily meditations. Um, and then I do, I love just to be active in my body. So I love Kundalini yoga in particular, and I also love CrossFit. So a really big mix. That's a nice mix. Do <laughs> so. Have you noticed a correlation between your body and your business? Because one thing I, I always point out is that your bot, your unconscious mind runs your body, and that's where all our programming for our business and our relationships and our body goes. So, have you noticed there any to be any parallels between your body and your business? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I feel like, so I've been doing acupuncture and I do a form of acupuncture with a practitioner. It's called classical acupuncture. So it's very spiritual based and very much in line with what you're, what you're saying about how the mind and the body interact. And it honestly amazes me how intelligent our bodies are and how well, where they hold stress or how they hold stress, or, you know, if we get headaches on a regular basis or we get stomach aches, how that's directly correlated to maybe things that were rep repressing or things that are causing us anxiety or what I like to call incompletions, like conversations that we need to have. 
Um, so yeah, I think our bodies are so, so intelligent. So what, what parallels have you found? Uh, like if you had, were to give a specific example, like say for anxiety or for like a shoulder pain. Yeah. So weird you say shoulder pain. Cause, um, I, mine actually happens in my wrist, but I would say that I get for some reason, a lot of nausea and it comes like, I've noticed that that is you know, when I get really overwhelmed, I will get nausea and I'll go in for acupuncture and we'll kind of clear it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for whatever reason, that's where kind of my stress and anxiety live. I know other people where it's, you know, they get headaches, um, where that happens to live, you know, in their head. So I think getting to know, oh, hey, like this is what's coming up for me. I must be feeling, you know, I feel like this is the weight of the world on my shoulders. You know, I need to have some bone broth or whatever it is that you do. Self-care I think is extremely important. Has self-care, has your own self-care been enhanced since growing your company? A hundred percent. Actually, my best friend and I were having a conversation and she was saying, man, you never used to go for two hour massages. <laughs> and I think that, you know, it's like my, I can say the chief energy operate, you know, organizer as the chief energy organizer of my own life, the CEO of my own life, you have to take care of that. And you have to know, I, I literally keep a note on my phone in my kitchen of what, what can I do um, that will brings me joy, you know, at the simplest things, right. From just taking five minutes to visualize, to cooking a meal, to all these different things. And something I've heard, which I like is like some people create a list of things that, you know, kind of bucket list things all the way down to things that are free that they can do every day that don't cost go for a walk, you know, that bring you joy, bring you back into that state of alignment. Um, cause something I've learned is that you don't need to work 18 hour days. You can be so effective with self care, working five, six hour days, much, much more effective. Yes. I just heard a fantastic interview with Kate Northrup that I will send you, uh, that yes. was specifically on the feminine flow of productivity and how the myth of us working eight hour days or sometimes 15 hour days or 18 hour days, uh, like when you first start your business, that, that, that myth is actually very much goes against our natural nature, except for during certain times of the month. I will definitely link to that in the show notes as well. So let's get into a little bit of rapid fun fire. Sure. If you were the queen of a country, what would be your first ordinance? Um, if I was queen of a country, I mean, probably just that, I mean, if I guess if I was a queen, it wouldn't be, there wouldn't be elections. So (laughs) I would say, I think self-care would be big. Everyone should take a day for self-care. I love that. So if your palace had a curse jar, how many words, how, how much money would be in there currently? Per day, per week? Oh gosh. I'm going to say 20 bucks. <laughs> nice. Awesome. <laughs> so what are three habits in your morning routine that just rock your world? Um, I have something called a five minute journal. Highly recommend it. You can get it on Amazon. Um, meditation and a hot bath. In the morning. Yeah. Awesome. And what are your three ways to de- de-stress or de- declutter your mind from the day at night? Um, I would say I tidy up my house before I go to bed, put all my clothes away, dishes, all of that. Um, I do the other part of my five-minute journal, which is the PM part. And then, you know, I will usually do some journaling or sometimes a second hot bath or my first one of the day. I'm a big one of the hot baths. <laughs> I love that. 
And lastly, how do you crown yourself? Um, I mean, how do I crown myself? I would say goes back to the self-care. I mean, two-hour massages, you know, currently I'm the only one in my household making elaborate, you know, dinners every now and then and just really nourishing, um, nourishing myself and taking care of myself. That's so beautiful. Tirza, thank you so much for coming on The Princess and the Bee. Where can we find you? How can we get our lashes done by your team and experience all the beauty that is Blink Bar? So great question. You can go to theblinkbar.com. Um, that's our website. It'll have all of our current locations. Currently, we have five in LA. And you can also follow us on Instagram, which is at theblinkbar. Awesome. Be sure to go follow the, uh, follow the Blink Bar. Their Instagram is like, it's on point. It is so beautifully master. It, it's, it's masterfully structured. It's gorgeous to look at and it's incredibly inspirational and it's lashes. So thank you so much for listening. And as always, my fellow empire builders, own your throne, mind your business and make it rain. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.